Now, our scripture reading this morning will be Matthew, the second chapter, first through twelfth verses. So if you'd like to uh, read through that with me, feel free to do so. That's Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem, uh, all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ, uh, where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Jerusalem, to, I'm sorry, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to the uh, back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I'm not going to apologize for a lot of reading of Scripture. I apologize the way I read, but uh, not the Scripture. So I want to look at a different account of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And you don't have to uh, look along and read. I'm going to try to read accurately, and you can just... Soak it in. About the time the Emperor Augustus gave orders to the name of all the people to be listed in record books, these first records were made when Carinus was governor of Syria. Everyone had to go to their own hometown to be listed, so Joseph had to leave Nazareth and Galilee and go to Bethlehem and Judah. Long ago, Bethlehem had been King David's hometown, and Joseph went because he was from David's family. Mary was engaged to Joseph and traveled with him to Bethlehem. She was soon going to have a baby, and while she was there, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She dressed him in baby clothes and laid him in a bed of hay because there was no room for him in the inn. That night in the field near Bethlehem, some shepherds were guarding their sheep. All at once an angel came down from them, from the Lord, and the brightness of the Lord's glory flashed around them. The shepherds were frightened. The angel said, don't be afraid. 
I have good news for you, which will make everyone happy. This very day in King David's hometown, a Savior was born to you. He is Christ the Lord. You'll know him who he is because you'll find him dressed in baby clothes and lying in a bed of hay. And suddenly these other angels came down from heaven and joined in praising God. And they said, praise God in heaven, peace on earth to everyone who pleases God. After the angels had left and gone back to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see what the Lord has told us about. They heard off and found Mary and Joseph. They saw the baby lying on the bed of hay. And when the shepherds saw Jesus, they told his parents what the angels had said about him. Everyone listened and was surprised. But Mary kept thinking about all these things and wondering what they meant. As the shepherd returned to their sheep, they were praising God and saying wonderful things about him. Everything they had seen and heard was just as the angel told them. Eight days later, Jesus' parents did for him what the law of Moses commands. They named him Jesus, just as the angel had told Mary when he promised that she would have a baby. In the early uh, 19th century, Poland was going across Europe. And his bloodshed everywhere he was going. It was terrible days. Nobody cared about babies being born. There was a lot of babies being born during that time, but all focused on Napoleon and what he was doing and how terrible it was. But in 1809, they should have been aware because William... <clears throat> Gladstone was born in England that same year and became England's greatest, uh, well, leader of all times. In that same year, uh, Alfred Tennyson, I guess he affected the, the literary world probably as much as any person who was ever born. That same year came uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, and uh, also Edgar Allan Poe. And a doctor and his wife named uh, Dr. Darwin, they named their kid Charles. And in the hills of Kentucky, uh, in a really rustic old cabin in Henderson County, a man and his woman named the little baby Abraham Lincoln. Now, if CNN was taking place at that time, they would have probably run all day long like they do. I mean, covered it all day, what was happening with Napoleon and what was happening across Europe and how history is being made. But I want to tell you, other than a few history buffs, nobody can even name a single campaign that Napoleon did. And yet every one of you in some way can name something that have been touched by those six people that I named that were born of those babies. So history is really being made in their, the arms of those mothers. The same thing was happening in Rome. During the days when Rome was conquering the world, 
Who cared about what a little baby was being born in Bethlehem? No significance, right? Wrong. There was a little strip of land in Rome called Palestine that was fighting for existence. And by the way, still is. <laughs> Always has. Interesting. Well, when Herod died, he had to set up his three sons would take over. He's going to chopped it up in three ways. And then uh, after that, uh, his son was so wicked, they just abandoned him. But you come down to where I read in Luke chapter 2, you got uh, the taxation that's taking place because Caesar is wanting to make Palestine part uh, and Judah part of the Roman government for the first time and not just be a Jewish colony. In order to do that, he had to do two things. Number one, had to change the power structure. That many had to take the power of life and death out of the Jews' hands and put it in Romans' hand. Now that's significant because if you remember when they brought Jesus to be crucified, <clears throat> the Jews wanted to condemn him and kill him, and they didn't have the power. That's why the Romans were kind of saying, well, he hadn't done anything against our laws. How are we going to kill him? So he moved that power. <clears throat> the second thing they had to do that was significant was increase the taxation and bring him in line with the rest of the Roman government. And so that's what happens here, and it sets the stage for Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Now, I just suspect when <clears throat> Augustus and all his leaders were sitting at the table making all they think, wow, we are just so genius. We're thinking up all these neat ways to get taxation, and all they were doing was fulfilling prophecy and make it so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. You see, what he said was that everybody who uh, is born <clears throat> in a certain, it'd be like going back to our uh, county seat. And, and so the house of David's where Joseph came from through that lineage. So he had to make that 80-mile journey with his wife, as long with the others, back to uh, Bethlehem so they could pay their taxes and register. Micah in chapter 5, about eight centuries before that, had already prophesied that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem in Hebrew means the house of bread. And that little insignificant town was about as important as a loaf of bread. <laughs> but that's where Jesus... It'd be like the president saying that something's great going to come out of mule shoe. <laughs> Or someplace. If you're from there, I'm sorry. But some little place. So insignificant. And yet, God says this is what's going to happen. Now, <clears throat> I can't convey to you emotionally how tough a trip that 80-mile trip on a donkey with Mary being pregnant would have been. I cannot imagine. I can't imagine anything rougher than a little donkey trying to ride on. I mean, she rode a while, and she walked a while, and she <laughs> sat a while, and she leaned on Joseph a while, and just, and she had a lot of time to think. As she was looked over, and between the pony's feet and all the pebbles passing, she kept thinking, what is this all about? Uh, Jim Bishop uh, reported, a journalist uh, did research, wrote a book called The Day Jesus Was Born. 
And Jim concludes that women at that time were betrothed between 13 and 14, married by 14, that Joseph, that Mary would have been about 15 years old. Uh, don't get any ideas here. And uh, <clears throat> that uh, if they had not married by 15 or 16, their likelihood of getting a good choice just was, they'd wind up with a shepherd uh, maybe and living in a cave or on some hillside and so anyway, it was a very young girl. He estimates through his research that Joseph had been about 19. Uh, he would have had his own business, a carpenter, but I don't know what kind of business because wood wasn't very plentiful in that region, but he would have been a good one. Now, when they get to Bethlehem, it was chaos. Uh, historians say that there were probably just hundreds, thousands of people in this little town without any restaurants, hotel, no accommodations. You can imagine sleeping in the streets, anywhere they could go. The best they had was kind of like a thing for a, a cavern where they would come through. They called it their inn, but they would just stop and get refreshed and take care of the animals and then move on. Even that was full. I'm sure they checked out everything, everywhere they went, no room, no vacancy, no room. Still kind of the same story. Uh, we've traveled, all of us at some point in time. Bob and I were coming through California one night. We were going to stop in this little old town, and they were having a, a garlic festival of, of all. I mean, there wasn't a room to be found. I asked this girl, I said, well, now tell me. That's when Reagan was president. I said, if... If President Reagan would show up here tonight, would you find a room for him? And she said, well, I said, well, I got firsthand information. He's not coming, so I want his. <laughs> now, I did that, but I didn't get the room. <clears throat> so we've all been there. No place, no room. I guess that's still the significance of today, no room for Jesus, really. Everything else crowds out. Not much room. Well, other people at least survived, even maybe sleeping in the streets. But for Mary, it was really difficult. Uh, here she was just uh, minutes or so from delivering a child. Uh, it, it, perhaps they were back at the place where the animals were kept there at that inn where the cavern, I mentioned the caravans might come. And can you imagine how dirty and stinky from all the manure and urine and Joseph must have cleaned off in the corner somewhere where she could have laid down. And uh, two young kids, so to speak, nobody. I mean, he didn't have a light. Didn't he have a flashlight? Can you imagine? You're talking about lonely and lowly and humble and all alone. And after the moaning and the agony would have ceased, the, the night through the night would have been a, a, the sound of a little baby, but it wouldn't have been very significant. In fact, the business would just been another disturbance, if, even if it was heard. And then Mary uh, wrapped him, and they had called squat, quad, squaddling. It was just been little strips that they would have wrapped him with, arms and all, to make him stronger and straighter. They did all the babies and... Every mother in here can remember the first time you held that baby. Every mother here. And so Mary holds him. Uh, 
And when all they were looking for a king to slay the foes and lift them high, then came a little baby thing that made a woman cry. I don't know what Mary was thinking about when she looked down in the face of that little baby. Did Mary remember, uh, you know, I've never been with a man. Did she know she was looking at the face of God? Did Mary realize that this was once in a lifetime event never to happen again on the face of the earth? A virgin giving birth. Behold the Lamb of God, Mary's little lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? And did you know that your baby boy has come to make life new? <clears throat> this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? And Mary, did you know that your baby boy will come the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? This sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Mary, did you know I don't know what she knew. The scripture kept saying over and over, she kept all these things in her heart, kept thinking about them. But we know, we know. And it's most, most significant to me to whom Jesus, <clears throat> God sent out his wedding invitation to, or his birth announcement. <laughs> I remember when my 
children were born and the telephone calls I made and how excited I was. So who would Jesus, who would God tell first about his son? I cannot believe a group of shepherds out on some hillside with a flock. And by the way, what flock? According to what I read, this was a special flock near Bethlehem. It was a flock that had been set aside for sacrificial offerings. Even the lambs would have been rejoicing. (laughs) Because now, there's the perfect lamb. That's going to be offered at Golgotha on the altar. I suppose those shepherds, what do you think they were talking about? The shift to power of Rome and what's happening and all the taxation and how it's going to affect their families, right? And all of a sudden Jesus comes, I mean this light comes from God and this announcement from heaven. I want to tell you something significant. It would have scared them to death, wouldn't it? I mean, out there in the darkness, it just... And Jesus, God was so compassionate. He says, don't fear. By the way, of all the commands in the New Testament, that's the most single quoted command from God. Fear not. Isn't that interesting? He cares. And they came in and they checked it all out. It was just like the angel said, right? They left rejoicing. Hey, three things took place that really is an example from us, from these shepherds, I think. Number one, they accepted by faith what God said. Why would they have believed that? How could you have believed it? What reason should they have believed it? There's no logic, right? They accepted by faith what God, the angel, said. That's step one. Then number two, they obeyed immediately. They went and checked it out. And it was true. They obeyed. And number three, they began to praise God and tell everybody what had happened. What a formula. And when they came back to that old job, they were new people. Now, the reason I'm making a big deal about these shepherds, I want to tell you something. These shepherds in that day and time were so notoriously bad people, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. And these are the very people God chose to give the first message to. He never does it like I would. I mean, who would have done it this way? When you had a campaign manager, I mean, big time. Yep. Oh, in First Corinthians, Chapter One. Let's see. Verse 26, my dear friends, remember what you were when God chose you. The people of this world didn't think many good things and think you were very wise. Only a few of you were in places of power and not many of you came from important families. Sound like us? But God chose the foolish things of this world to put 
the wise to shame. He chose the weak things of this world to put the powerful, put the powerful to shame. And what the world thinks is worthless and useless and nothing at all is what God has used to destroy the world and consider it important. God did all of this to keep anyone from bragging to him. You're God's children. And he sent Jesus Christ to save us and make us wise, acceptable, and holy. And so if you want to brag, do what the scriptures say and brag about the Lord. Well, I suppose it still hadn't changed much. The uh, insignificant taking the place of the significant. There's people who today still probably think that history is being made with the cash register. But it isn't. And I thank you today for being the kind of people that's made room for Jesus in your heart. I know the, uh, the, the, uh, the problem for all of us to make him number one in our hearts. But at least... We have made some room that he's welcome. That's good. And when Jesus said, peace on earth, goodwill to men, Jesus wasn't talking about the kind of peace that the rulers and the presidents make and the kind we'd like to have today that's wonderful. The only kind of peace that the rulers of the world can give is on the land and the sea. And that's wonderful. But the kind that God was talking about was peace of the heart. Peace from passion and greed and envy and jealousy and pride. Which is a greater peace than peace on the land and the sea. And the last thing I want to suggest to you is we talk about making history. God's not shook up today over Saddam and or any other leader or what's happening anywhere else or any God's not shook up. He's not wringing his hands saying, Oh, I don't know what to gonna do and what we're gonna come. He is still in charge. And it's okay. And so history is still being made by God. He's still in charge. Isn't that good? And today, if you're here and you you haven't made room for him in your heart, uh, you just kind of had a sign going around, no vacancy, no room. This would be a good day to make room for Jesus. Our to make him number one. So if you need to confess Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, you need to be baptized. We'd love to assist you. If you need the prayers of the church, come while we stand and sing.